Good morning. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps, whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to 1 John, the book that we've been in for for several weeks now. Now, if you're not sure how to find 1 John, there's a graphic up on the screen behind me. It gives you some basic instructions on how to locate 1 John. Or if you have the Bible app, we're in the Bible app, and and there are some instructions on how to locate uh, today's sermon notes uh, in the Bible app. So feel free. We'll leave this graphic up on the screen behind me uh, for a couple of minutes so that you can locate 1 John today. 1 John chapter 5 is actually where we'll be. Now, I'm, I'm a blessed man. I, I don't have a lot of room to, to claim that I don't have blessings or anything like that because in reality, I've got so much to be thankful for. Thanksgiving reminds us of that, I hope, but you know, one of my blessings right now is I have a five-year-old right now named Declan, and he's in that stage where he's learning how to ride a bike. Parents, do you remember teaching your kids how to ride a bike? I'm actually loving this right now. He's, he's, we, we started him on one of those striders. I know striders are kind of a newer thing, but they're basically a bicycle without pedals, and the idea is to train your, teach your child how to trust the bike, to, to, to get some speed going and trust that the bike will hold them up. Well, he's, he's kind of gotten that under him. He's figured out that he can trust the bicycle to carry him. And so we got him, a few days ago, we got him a bicycle with pedals and training wheels. And he has been riding that bicycle at every opportunity that he can get. He wants to go outside and ride his bicycle up and down the sidewalk as much as possible. And he loves it. Now, where's that going to go? He's going to get to a point where he gets comfortable enough on that where we'll pull the training wheels off and I'll teach him to ride the bike without the training wheels. And he'll be like his older brother, who's 12, that rides his bike through the neighborhood all the time now. But let me ask you something. There are stages to riding a bike. I don't know of a child that just hopped on a bike and started riding without any practice or training or trial and error. You know, it, it takes some training. There's, a, there's stages of development in the process of learning how to ride a bicycle, isn't there? And, and my oldest son is in the older the, the the last stages of riding a bike he's a pro he, he jumps curbs and does all the things but my youngest son is still in the early stages and last week we kind of talked about how Christ leads us through processes of maturity he grows us spiritually and we talked about how that maturity is is based on not necessarily knowledge knowledge is a piece of the puzzle but But the most important part of that growing in maturity is our growing relationship with Jesus. Just like riding a bicycle, we go through stages where we grow more and more in our maturity in our walk with Christ. But let me take this illustration just one step further. Can you ride a bicycle without a bicycle? No. You're going to look pretty foolish going out in the street or on the sidewalk and pretending to hop on something and pedaling like you're riding a bicycle. It doesn't work. You can't ride a bicycle without a bicycle. And John's going to talk about today how we can't follow Jesus without Jesus. 
So I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to read a longer passage today. We're going to start in verse 6 and read all the way to the end of the book. Verse 21. Now, again, as we've done throughout this series and I try to, to do every week, let me give you some background as you're locating 1 John 5, 6. John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. After Jesus died and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, we stopped calling them disciples and started calling them apostles. Now, disciple is the Greek word for student. So when Jesus was alive, his 12 followers were his students, his disciples. Apostle in Greek means one who's sent out. So after Jesus died and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, they weren't necessarily his, his like students who followed his every step physically wherever he went. Jesus ascended to, into heaven and he sent those men out into the world to spread the good news of the salvation of Jesus. So, so there's these apostles. John at this point. At the, the writing of 1 John. John is the last one. All of the other apostles. Have died a martyr's death at this point. They have been killed. By either a city government. Or the Roman government. Because they've been spreading. The good news about Jesus. They've been killed for their faith. And John's the last one. And John writes this letter to a series of churches that are what would be like modern day Turkey. Think of the Mediterranean Sea and that kind of northeastern corner. That's where he's writing to. And look at what he says in chapter 5 verse 6. He says this. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God. That he was born, that he has born concerning his son. This is it. Verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in the son. Whoever has the son has life and whoever does not have the son does not have life. Verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that, he, that we have the request that we have asked him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit Sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. 
We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So this is the end of 1 John, this book that we've been in for a couple months now. And I, I want to talk through some of these things that John addresses here in this last section. So look with me in verses 13 through 15. He says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, verse 13, he's basically given us the reason why he wrote this book, wrote this letter. He is telling us that he's given this letter to us so that we can know that we have eternal life, that we can have that confidence of believing in him. That's what this whole letter has been about. It's about knowing that Jesus died on a cross and in that death, he took all the sins of the world, all of the wrath of God. We talked about this about three weeks ago. So if you, if you want more in depth on this, go to our YouTube page, to our website, uh, look up this, this particular message from a few weeks ago. But Jesus took all of the wrath that our sin has incurred. Your sin is, is all of the ways that you've disobeyed God. You, you're, the way that you've made yourself a criminal by God's law. You've broken the law. As a criminal, a, a breaker of the law, you deserve punishment. I deserve punishment. We've all sinned. But when Jesus died on that cross, he took all of that punishment that we rightly deserve, all of that wrath, all of that guilt and that shame, he took it on himself. And he paid the punishment that all of us rightly deserve. That's what mercy is. You've heard the terms mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting the punishment that you rightly deserve, that I rightly deserve. That's what mercy is. God shows you and I mercy because he doesn't punish us for our sins if we believe in Jesus. Instead, he forgives us of our sins because Jesus paid the price. And then the grace is what comes after. Grace is getting all the things you don't deserve, all those blessings that you didn't earn, all those things that you're not worthy of because you're, you and I are sinners and yet God gives us those good things anyways, that's grace. So the fact you're sitting in this room breathing right now, that's grace. The fact you woke up this morning, that's grace. The fact that you walked outside and the sun was shining, granted it's a little chilly this morning, but the sun was shining on you, that's grace. 
the fact that we can come together as a body of Christ in this place, this is grace. And so Jesus took all of the punishment for your sins and my sins on himself on that cross. When you believe in him as your savior, all of that punishment, all that guilt and shame is taken. Jesus took it on himself so that you wouldn't have to. But it didn't end there. Three days later, what happened? He rose from the grave. And let me tell you right now, there's not a single person in all of history who has died and risen from the grave of his own, through his own power. But Jesus did. And let me be totally honest, that's a person I'll follow. He proved once and for all in that moment when he came out of that grave, he proved that he was and he is God's one and only son. And that's what John's talking about here in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? That you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you would have eternal life? If you have Jesus, the answer to that question is always yes. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. None of us do. But if you believe in Jesus and what he did for you on that cross, you can with confidence, as John himself says, you can with confidence say, I have eternal life. That's the message of the gospel. That's the hope of what Jesus did for us on that cross. And that's why John, according to verse 13, that's, why, that's the whole purpose that John gave us this letter. So that we would have confidence in him. Now, I recognize that maybe there's someone in here who has never come to a place where they've believed in Jesus. Maybe you don't believe. But maybe what I've explained and unpacked today makes you ask some questions. Maybe you're curious. Maybe you want to know more. Or maybe you're at a place where you're ready to make that next step in your walk with Jesus. And if you want to know more... If you want to know what this following Jesus is all about, if you want to know what Jesus has done, if you've got questions and, and would like some answers, uh, we've got a couple of ways you can respond today. Right after the service up here at the front, one of our elders named Bill, he's going to be up here. And if you want to come forward and, and ask some questions or accept Jesus, or, or if you've got questions about our church, Bill will be up here at the front. I'll be out in the foyer after service. Come talk to me. Or grab a connect card or go to the website, give us your information, and I'll reach out to you this week. But if you've got questions about Jesus today, don't walk out these doors without starting the process to get those questions answered. So, so let us know if you want to know more about Jesus. But we can have confidence in our eternal life if we believe in Jesus. Now look at what else he says here, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, we've got to talk about this for a second. John is talking about 
prayer. Prayer is powerful. It's effective. That's what James, uh, the book of James, who's a little, a few books before 1 John. James talks about that in James chapter 5. The the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. You see, when you go to God in prayer, he hears you as a loving father. But let me ask you something. Think about your own kids or if you had kids. Would you give your kids every single thing they ask for? Of course not. You know, we're in Christmas season, so my son watches his cartoons and there are commercials that come on. And if you've ever had a five-year-old, what does he say after every commercial? I want that. I want that. I want that. Now, when you go through eight commercials, that's a lot of I wants, right? And there are some things, there are some of those commercials that I wouldn't buy that in a million years. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, those presents, those toys that cause so much pain to your ears that you would never wish that on your worst enemy, like a drum set or that, that toy that you press the button and it makes that annoying sound over and over and over and over and over. Yeah, no. There are some things that when my five-year-old or my 12-year-old, they ask for something, there's sometimes that I'm going to flat out look at them and I'm going to tell them no, right? Because they ask for a lot of things and some of the things they are asking for would not do them good. It actually may do them harm mentally or emotionally or even physically, And so there are times when my sons come to me and ask for something and because I love them, not because I'm cruel or mean or vindictive, but because I love them, I tell them no, don't I? Sometimes when you go to the Father in prayer, sometimes the answer is not going to be yes. And that's something we have to get our hearts and our minds wrapped around is you're not always going to get your way. Even if that way seems really good, sometimes God's going to say no, or maybe he's going to say not yet. You know, there are some of those commercials that pop up and Declan will go, "Ooh, daddy, I want that. And I look at that commercial and go, you know, when you're eight, that might be an appropriate toy, but you're only five right now. So not now. Maybe later. Guys, sometimes that's what prayer's about. Sometimes we make our requests known to God. We, we ask him for something. And sometimes God says, I love you, but that would do you more harm than good. So my answer will be no here. Sometimes God looks at us and says, you're not quite ready for this. Or I'm not ready for you to have it yet. And so he says, Wait. And sometimes we just have to be okay with God in his love because he's a loving father telling us, giving us an answer that maybe we don't want to hear. But that's what prayer is. It is a loving father giving us the request that we ask for. But look at what John says here. Look at how he says it. Verse 14, and this is the confidence we have toward him that if we ask anything, how? According to his will. We ask, but how did Jesus ask when he went to the Lord? Not my will, but 
your will be done. God told Jesus no in the Garden of Gethsemane when he asked God to take this cup from him, the cup of having to die on a cross. If Jesus can hear the answer no to that, I think we can hear the answer no to some of our requests. But prayer is important. But we have to be okay with whatever answer God ends up giving us. Even if we don't understand it. Sometimes when I tell my five-year-old no, he doesn't understand why I'm telling him no. But the fact of the matter is, is I'm telling him no because it's for his good. But the flip side of that is I tell him yes a whole lot, don't I? I tell him yes out of my love. So, that's prayer. Now I want to skip down to verse 18. Look with me now in verse 18. He says this. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Now, let's stop here for a second. John says that Jesus' followers will not keep sinning. Now, let me explain keep sinning because some of you are in this room right now going, um, this is a problem because I'm a follower of Jesus and I sinned like an hour ago, right? When we become followers of Jesus, does that mean that we somehow miraculously become inoculated to sin and we never sin again in our entire lives? No. Some of you on your drive here said some choice words to that car that cut you off and that's a sin. Right? So what is John saying then? If he's saying that the follower of Jesus will not keep on sinning, And yet we know that even after we've become a follower of Jesus, we still slip up sometimes. What is he talking about? Well, this is one of those instances where the language that John spoke, which was the Greek language, is a little too complex for the English to completely communicate. Uh, so, So there's a verb here, keep on sinning, that in Greek means to actively pursue sin. It doesn't mean that you fall or that you slip up or that you give in to your temptation here and there. It means you're actually chasing after your sin. You're, you're pursuing it. You're actively trying to gain or, or grasp or, or, or embrace sin. Greek's crazy that way. Greek has more than a dozen verb tenses. English has three. Past, present, future, right? Greek has more than 12. So... so Sometimes the English has a hard time conveying one of those 12 verb tenses. So the verb here does not mean just keep on sinning the way it's kind of translated here in the English. The the connotation here is that the follower of Jesus does not actively pursue sin any longer. The follower of Jesus is not going to pursue sin. They're going to repent of sin. They're going to actively run away from sin. They're going to try their best to not be in sin anymore. And so that's what John is saying here in verse 18. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep pursuing sin. Instead, they run away from it. They repent 
of it. That's what repentance means. It's a big Bible word that we never use outside of a religious and Bible context. Repent means we see the sin over here. We see that temptation and we say, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm going this direction. That's what repentance is. It's actively and intentionally running away, avoiding the sins, the temptations that would would ensnare us, would enslave us. And so John is encouraging us here. Because think back, if you've been listening to the messages of this series, I've been talking about how there are things that John repeats through 1 John, and one of them is, don't keep sinning, right? He comes back to that idea at least three times. The active follower of Jesus actively runs away from sin. We don't keep sinning. So, the follower of Jesus will never reach perfection. He's not saying that. The the follower of Jesus is never going to be sinless as long as they're here on this earth. Because sin has infiltrated every aspect of us and this world. But, apparently in the churches that John was writing to, there was a group of people teaching that since Jesus had died, you could just keep on sinning all you wanted. And it didn't matter because Jesus had already paid the price. And so they were living horrible lives. And John here is actively saying, no, 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 no. The follower of Jesus does the opposite. They avoid sin. So, and then he talks about how God protects the last half of verse 18. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. You see, when we are pursuing God and we are running from sin, that sin has no hold on us any longer. We're protected from that. You can't be forced into sin. There's always another option. And so God provides us that protection. Uh, Let's look at the next verse, verse 19. He says, And we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He's backing up what he said in the last half of verse 18. We, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are from God. You are one of his children. And even though the evil one, even though the devil, Satan, whatever name you want to give him, even though Satan has power in this world over the culture and and things that happen, you are not enslaved to him. You are of God. You are set free to live in righteousness, in right living according to God. Now look with me at the last portion, verse 20 and 21. He says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now this leads me to the main point that I want you to walk away with today. I call it the big idea. I don't give you three points in my messages generally. I like to give you one thing that you can easily remember and go home and weigh it against scripture and think about it and pray about it. And today's big idea is this. We need Jesus to live for Jesus. We need Jesus to live for Jesus. 
Think about my illustration just a moment ago. You cannot ride a bicycle without a bicycle. You're going to look pretty foolish. People are going to drive by and point and laugh at you. I can guarantee it. Right? If you're going down the sidewalk like you're riding a bicycle, but there is no bicycle underneath you, you're going to look crazy. And the same is true. You cannot follow Jesus unless you have Jesus. We need him in every way. You can't forgive yourself of your sins. You need Jesus to do that, right? You cannot attain eternal life. It doesn't matter what good things you do or how much money you donate or how much time you give to the needy. You cannot earn eternal life. You have to have Jesus. You need Jesus if you want eternal life. You can't live for Jesus. You can't live a right life. You can't be free of the slavery that sin puts you under without Jesus giving you the power to do so. Even 2 Corinthians tells us that you can't actually resist the temptations in your life without God's help in doing so. You literally, I literally need Jesus for every aspect of faith. Just like you can't ride a bike without a bike, you can't live for Jesus unless you have Jesus and his spirit living inside of you. Having that life-changing hope that can only come from Jesus. There's no way to live for him, to follow him without his power equipping you to do so. We can't do it. It's just not possible. Look at what he says here in verse 20. We know that the Son of God has come and he's given us understanding. So so in order to understand Jesus, in order to understand faith, in order to understand what God wants us to do and how to live, if we want to love and be people of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, if we want to be people of God, if we want to have understanding, we need Jesus for it, don't we? So we need him. He gives us understanding. But look at how, what he says right after that. He's come and he's given us understanding. Why? So that we may know him who is true. Remember last week I talked about how everything goes back to our relationship. Why does he give us understanding according to 1 John 5, 20? He gives us understanding so that we can know him. Again, it goes back to us being in a loving relationship with the Father. And so we are given understanding so that we can be in a closer relationship with him. Look at what else it says. Has given us understanding. Why? So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. Again, relational. We are in Jesus. We are in connection, in relationship with Jesus. In his son, Jesus Christ, last half, or last sentence of verse 20. He is the true God 
and eternal life. He is the true God. There is no God other than Him. There are lots of things that we worship in our lives and maybe we wouldn't call them gods but we treat them like gods sometimes. But in reality there is one true God, Jesus Christ. There is no other. There is no one else that we can turn to for, for salvation from sins, for help, for comfort, for peace, for healing. He is the only one because he is the only true God, the true and eternal God, and he is the eternal life. Eternal life is not just an existence. Eternal life is literally Jesus. He's the only way. Now, look at verse 21. Because I'll be honest, if I was a writer, which I'm not a writer, I'm I'm not great at it. But this is not the way I would conclude a five-chapter letter. But look at what he says. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why does he conclude it this way? It seems odd, like if you look at the other letters in the Bible that Paul wrote, uh, you know, Romans through uh, whatever, Hebrews and James and, and first, second Peter and, and Jude, they usually end with like some kind of, hey, say hello to so-and-so and so-and-so and oh, I'm sending so-and-so to you and this and that. But John ends it with, hey, keep yourselves from idols, you bums. Keep away from this. I'm not saying anything else to it. Why does he end this way? It just seems so odd. Think back, if you've kept up with us, if you've been with us through this series, John is circling back and reiterating all of the things that he's emphasized with this one simple statement, he's reiterating all the things he's emphasized through the, the entirety of his letter. So what has he talked about so far? He's talked about how Jesus is the object of our worship, of our adoration, our devotion. That's how he begins the letter. Go back to chapter one. I think it's verses one through four. He talks about that Jesus is the object. Then he talks about how Jesus is the true son of God and he's worthy of our worship. He unpacks that idea more. He talks about how he's the one who died for our sins so that we could have eternal life in him. Then he talks about and he he follows a circular thing where he keeps talking about these these few items over and over. He talks about don't claim to be without sin but strive to live in righteousness and repentance, in right living and turning away from your sins. He repeats that repeatedly. Then he repeats over and over, love one another. This is the way to test, one of the ways to test whether someone is a true follower of Jesus, if they love one another. And then he repeatedly talks about worshiping God alone. All of that can be wrapped into this one little final statement keep yourselves from idols worship Jesus avoid sin love one another worship God alone that's what he's talking about 
Again, as I mentioned a minute ago, we as Americans in modern society, we don't generally have idols in the sense that they had idols. Like they had little physical things that they would worship sitting on a shelf in their house somewhere. We don't generally do that. That's not the idol worship that that we find ourselves getting wrapped up in. We end up worshiping our money, our bank accounts, our retirement accounts. We worship our comfort, our leisure. We end up worshiping people, our relationships more than we worship God. We end up worshiping um, our, our comforts and our desires, our opinions. Sometimes we, we worship our own reputation more than we worship God. You know, trying to keep a, a, a right standing to the people that we think are important in our lives. And John is simply concluding by warning us that nothing else matters other than following Jesus. Don't get wrapped up in all the things of the world. Don't get wrapped up in the comforts and the money. Don't get wrapped up in those relationships that aren't godly. Instead, worship him and him alone. Live for him. Love him. And that's how he concludes 1 John, is simply by saying, Keep yourselves from idols. Focus on him. Focus on Jesus. And let your lives reflect that focus on your Savior. So where are you with that? Where are you in the process of simply worshiping your Savior? Join me in prayer.